0: Good evening, everyone. Man, it is so good to be here with you tonight. Tonight, we're going to be talking on the topic of maintaining an eternal mindset. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians 5, and we'll get there in a moment. But maintaining an eternal mindset. Now, as we think about this, I want you to, to put this picture in your mind. Have you ever watched someone or on a tightrope or better yet, have you ever attempted to walk on a tight rope yourself? So I have a picture of just kind of showing you what that looks like. Now in my mind, honestly, my mind when I started thinking about this illustration, it went to a an episode of The Office and I thought that would not be appropriate. Uh, I apologize, but if you know the office happens to be Dwight and a slack line and Andy, but it's it's funny. Go watch it. Not, I'm sorry, but yeah, but that's what I went to. Uh, so I thought this was better. When you think about somebody on a tightrope, or if you're trying to balance yourself, um, it engages every muscle in your body, uh, the, even the small ones. In tendency, if you're like on one foot and you start leaning one way, you overcreate and you end up falling off the other way. As you are walking on this tightrope or trying to balance. I think this is a great illustration of the Christian life. In a lot of ways, we can compare the Christian life to a balancing act. See, the Lord in His gracious sovereignty has given us His Word for direction, and we have to keep all that it teaches in balance. Um, And think about ever in your life where you've been trying to really lean into a spiritual discipline. Let's say you've been trying to get into reading your Bible. And you've come up with these Bible plans and you start leaning and you're, you're reading and reading and reading and you're just diving in and then all of a sudden you start to realize my prayer life is not what it used to be or is supposed to be or my fasting life or whatever, whatever discipline you may be ignoring as you're trying to engage more in Bible reading. So it's really this, this balancing act of all that God has for us. And then sometimes... Even as we walk with Christ, there's times that we can get so out of balance that it can lead to sin. History has shown that individuals that start leaning into the law and they start going after this strict obedience to the law, what happens is legalism. And legalism is adding to Scripture. They start adding laws that weren't even there. This was the the whole issue that uh, Jesus was coming up against with the scribes and the Pharisees. So you can get off balance so bad that it leads to sin. Well, the opposite direction is you start leaning so heavily on grace that grace is everything, that Jesus loves, God loves everybody, which is so true. But what happens is you start leaning so heavy there that you start missing out on some of the more important parts of the law. And what happens is you start taking away from Scripture, and that's called liberalism. So you can have be so out of balance that it can lead to legalism. It can lead to liberalism. So as we kind of navigate and we walk into this busy season season of our lives, every time, you know, school lets out, summer starts and all that's going on in your life, you know, the days get longer, right? I don't know about you, but when the days start getting longer, if the sun is up, I want to be up. I want to be outside. I start staying up later. Like in the wintertime when it goes, like I want to go to bed at 4.30 because it's dark. You know, I'm ready to go to bed. But in the summer times, it starts going to bed. You start going to bed a lot later. All these different things start pressing in on you, the plans that you make with your friends. And sometimes we have a tendency to allow the business, busyness of our life to get us out of balance. And so tonight, from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, we're going to really, what my desire, my prayer for you tonight is, is that you, will learn and put into practice three actions that you can do walking away from tonight, three actions that you can do tonight that will help you maintain balance in this area of maintaining an eternal mindset. Because if we stop thinking and start missing the mark on what it means to have an eternal mindset, we get off balance we are on that tightrope, and then all of a sudden we may be falling off. And there's some great lessons from Second Corinthians chapter five. So what I would love to do is just kind of introduce this topic from Second Corinthians so that you can begin to see where we're at. Now, Second Corinthians, for us, it is the second letter that we know that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. When you read 1 Corinthians and you read 2 Corinthians, you realize that actually Paul wrote at least four letters to this church. Two of them were lost. We don't have any record of them, but what is written in 1 and 2 Corinthians, we learned that he had written other letters. The first two letters, first letter was lost. The second letter is our 1 Corinthians. The third letter was lost, and the fourth letter would be our 2 Corinthians. The first two letters were basically Paul going after the Corinthians for what was going wrong in their church. See, Corinth was this major city that a lot of people went through. It was a a very commercial. uh, Sailors and all these different things were all going through this. And what happened is when you get all those people in those areas, sin starts to take over. So Corinth was this immoral city. In fact, you know it's bad when you your name becomes a verb. So in history, they talked about uh, Corinthianism. What that meant is that they were immoral drunkards. So if you were Corinthian, that's who you were. Their identity as Corinthians was the fact that they were immoral. And what happened, unfortunately, in this church, they started to take on the characteristics of of the culture, they started to allow immorality to come into the church. They started to allow some of the worst that you can think of. One of the things that Paul points out specifically is incest, sexual immorality, divisions. They're fighting over what basically who baptized who and improper worship. All of these things are happening, and what happens in the Corinthian church is they started taking on the characteristics of the culture. Would y'all agree that that could be a challenge that we face today? That sometimes we start to take on the characteristics of the culture that's around us, and we start to navigate, and, and what happens is we end up looking like the culture. And so what we see in 2 Corinthians 5, after 1 Corinthians, where he got on to the Corinthians. Now he has sent Timothy. Timothy comes back and he is rejoicing because we learn in 2 Corinthians that the Corinthians had repented of their sins and they were trying to make it back to where they were supposed to be. They still had their issues, which we all do, right? But yet he was excited and what he was doing, he was, in this letter, he was actually trying to guard and tell people that he needed that he, what the ministry that he was doing was true ministry, and what we see in Second Corinthians 5 is that he is discussing the motivation and the message of the ministry, and what we find are ways to maintain an eternal mindset. Look at Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16, and read with me. It says, This therefore. From now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, not yet now we know Him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things pass away. Behold, new things have come. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, and as though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we pray that you will bless the reading of your word. Lord, I pray that tonight that we will learn what it means to have an eternal mindset. That we will not get out of balance in this area. But Lord, that we will be looking towards and understanding what it means for us to live forever. We pray that you will bless the reading of your word now. In your name we pray, amen. Now, as we dive dive into this text, I hope you have been told any time that you see a therefore, you have to ask the question, why is the therefore there for, right? Which is great. It always clues me in, hey, what comes before that? Here was the challenge as I was preparing for this lesson, for this sermon. Like, in this chapter alone, there are six therefores. The whole thing is connected. I started going crazy on how in the world can I connect everything. In fact, the first therefore comes in chapter 4, verse 16. It says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Why? Because in 4.14, he says, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. So we don't lose heart because we will be raised with Jesus. The second therefore comes in chapter 5, verse six. Therefore, being always of good courage. Why? We find out in, chapter, in verse 1 of chapter 5. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in heavens, who also gave us a spirit as the pledge. That's uh, verse 5. So therefore, verse, we have a third therefore in verse 9. Therefore, we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. Why? Listen to what verse 8 says. Because we prefer to be at home with the Lord, so we long to please Him. We have our ambition, whether at home or present, to be pleasing to God. Why? Because because we will be with Him. Because of what He has done for us, we will be with Him, so we want to please Him. Verse 11 says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. Why? Paul longs to persuade the Corinthians that were turning against him of his sincerity in ministry. The New Living Translation of verse 11 says, Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. Now, what we see is Paul is letting them know that our sincerity comes from God and we want you to find us sincere. Now we finally come to our text. It's all been building to this point. You see, we don't lose heart because God He raised Jesus, who raised Jesus is present with us and on and on and on. And this leads us to our first action that we m- must take in order to maintain an eternal mindset. From verse 16, we see this, that we must look beyond the physical. If you're going to maintain an eternal mindset, you must look beyond the physical. Now, we live in a physical world. You can't get around this. And in fact, when we look at all the physical descriptions and everything that we experience, many times the physical divides, whether it's through culture, race, Economics, education, some of these divisions are worse than others, but it all divides. And many times it can lead to this dangerous thing that we have to be careful of is that it can even lead to hatred and it can lead to judgment, uh, being judgmental. Have you ever found somebody or met somebody for the first time, and as soon as you meet them, you make a judgment on them? Is anybody else struggle with that? Somebody walks in the room, and immediately you make a judgment about them based on what they wear, what they look like, what they're doing. Is that, do you think that's of God? No. If God was to look at us just on our physical appearance, we'd have an issue, right? We've got to look beyond the physical. If we're going to maintain, an eternal mindset, we've got to be willing to look beyond the physical because we are so much more than physical. I love how the New Living Translation translates these verses. It says, so we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, and the new, ha- new life has passed away. So we, Paul is saying we have stopped evaluating people p- merely by human standards. He was willing to stop looking at the outside, and looking at their circumstances, and to look and see who they were. When we talk about an eternal mindset, we have to be willing to view individuals through God's eyes. And we have to start thinking about where they will spend eternity. See, Paul admits that he had viewed Christ from a human perspective but his experience on the road to Damascus changed everything. And now, in the same way, he looked at every person differently. Just like Paul, if you're here today and you've had a salvation experience, you know that you are a child of God. The way you view people has to shift. It has to change. So much so that it changes even the trajectory of your life. It changes your ambition. It changes how you live. I just want to stop. Has that happened to you? Have you started viewing individuals aside from the physical and started leaning in and thinking from a spiritual mindset? It is so easy as we are walking this Christian life, to get out of balance and stop viewing individuals in who they are. When we look at this therefore, from now, we, from now on we recognize no one according to the flesh, we have to go back to verse 14. It says, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And He died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. One died for all, therefore all died. It says Jesus died for all because all are dead in their sin. And we know that Jesus died for the sins of the world. See, the death described in this text talks about the physical death of Christ and its effect on the spiritual life of those who believe in Him. Well, what does verse 15 say? It says that He died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died and rose again on their behalf. See, we are made of body, soul, and spirit. When we die physically, our soul and spirit lives forever. So the physical gives way to the spiritual, and as believers, we must begin to look at others as spiritual beings because that they will spend eternity somewhere. Look at verse 17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. If this is true, we should rejoice, right? If you are a child of God, it says, old things have what? Old things have what? Uh, and new things have what? Come, Do you ever think about that? That as a child of God, you are a new creation? When the enemy starts heaping guilt or shame or just all of these different things on you, do you ever stop to fight back with God and say, I am a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Do you know that one of the major primary ways that the enemy attacks you as a believer is he makes you think about what you did in your past to render you ineffective right now in the present. He wants you to think about that sin that you so hate that you have done in the past. And if he can get you thinking about shame and guilt in that, he knows that you will not move forward in Christ because you're too busy looking at the past. So when we look at others, not according to the flesh, but spiritually, you got to start with yourself. (laughs) That that Jesus has made you a new creation. That old things have passed away and new things have come. Think about it. If you are a child of God... The Bible says that Christ's righteousness is imputed upon you. Now, imputed is a big word, right? Basically, it means this. When Jesus sees you, I mean, when God sees you, he sees Jesus' righteousness. How righteous was Jesus? How righteous was Jesus? Did he ever sin? No. He was righteous. Righteous means in right standing with God. He was all righteous. Now, if this is true that in Christ there is a new creation, then you also have to understand that the opposite is also true. If anyone is not in Christ, they are not a new creature. The old things have not passed away and new things have come. So if we're going to switch our thinking and get away from this eternal and get into an eternal mindset, we have to start to realize There's two types of people. There's new creations and there's not new creations. There's people that do not have anything new in their life. The old things have not passed away. So when you think about individuals from this perspective, everything physical that divides goes away. And you have to think, does this person have a relationship with Jesus Christ? You may not like them. Anybody have a co-worker that annoys them? Amen. Wow, that, some hands went up quick. <laughs> yeah, we all, have a, we all have co-workers that annoy us, right? Or a family member that gets on your nerves. There we go. We got some more hands. Yeah. Yeah, we all have these people in our life. Or maybe you have even some... some uh, racism in your heart that that you've not dealt with or you have some anger in your heart towards a certain people group God loves them too think about it this way you need to realize if you're going to make this shift and have an eternal mindset you need to realize that everyone in this room right now will spend eternity in one of two places those who trust Christ will spend eternity in the presence of God and in his love Those who reject Christ will spend eternity in the full presence of God's wrath, separated from God's love forever. If you're going to make this shift to an internal mindset, you've got to realize this. You've got to realize that everyone you work with will spend eternity in one of two places. Those who trust in Christ will spend eternity in the presence of God and His love forever. Those who you work with that do not know Christ will spend eternity separated from the love of God and in the presence of His full wrath. See, many times we hear preached that hell is the absence of God. I disagree with that. I believe that hell is the absence of God's love and the full fulfillment of God's wrath. God's holiness is fulfilled in his love, his mercy, and also his wrath. So you have to understand that everybody that you work with is going to spend eternity in one or two places. Carry it further. Everybody in your family is going to spend eternity in one of two places. Everybody in this world who's never had an opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ will spend eternity separated from God forever in the presence of His wrath. Separated from the love of God in the presence of His wrath. When we talk about making this shift to an eternal mindset, you've got to stop looking at the physical and start looking at the spiritual. So when you meet somebody new, you're not checking them out because they look good or not going away from them because they're not that cute. You are actually looking at them with the eyes of God and you are saying, I wonder if this person has a relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you see the shift? Is that the first thing that you think of when you meet somebody? It's not. Unless you're good, a lot better than me. You start thinking immediately when you meet somebody, you start thinking about what do I need from them? So you start working through the transactions, right? You step into the line at the grocery store, the lady behind, you have a goal. I want to get out of this store as quickly as possible. The only thing between me and getting out of this store as quickly as possible is this person behind this cash register. I, don't ha- I can keep my head down, it can go through the belt, I can say, hey, how you doing? And I can walk through it, and then I go, I pay, go, boom, and I'm out. Or if you're like me, go through the self-checkout, don't have to talk to anybody, and we're walking through that, right? <sighs> Look at this. Think about it. That person behind that checkout line has a soul. And it's not about transaction, but it's about transformation, How can you shift your mindset to say, I'm not going to go through self-checkout anymore. I'm going to go to the longest line possible and I'm going to go in there and I'm going to talk to that person the whole time because I have an opportunity to share Jesus. No volunteers on that one, right? We got it, right? It's, think about it. It's so difficult. Like you don't understand that you are put in the people's lives to be a representative of Jesus Christ. We're going to get there, but that's why you're there. But if you don't make this switch and start thinking and get beyond the physical and start thinking about who that person is spiritually, you will never make this shift to an eternal mindset. So that's the first action that we must take. The first action is this. We must move beyond the physical. The second action is we must engage in the ministry of reconciliation, verse eighteen says, "Now all these things are from God. What things? What things are from God? Go back to the the verse right before. Those new things in Christ. Old things have what? New things have what? Y'all are y'all are going? To get, old things have what? There we go. New things have come. Y'all make making me act like Pastor Steve on Sunday morning. Think about it. But it's just it's just." Those new things, God has brought those into your life. Now, why? Those things are from God. Why? Because who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Listen when we start thinking about this idea of engaging in the ministry of reconciliation, we need to understand that salvation and new creation does not happen apart from God. We are just conduits for for God to use. When we become followers of Jesus Christ, we are reconciled to God. Reconciled and reconciliation are words that we don't use often in our everyday speech, but they are key to understanding your relationship with God. When you start to understand the depth of the meanings of words in Scripture, it starts to make your relationship with God become alive. So I'm about to talk to you a little bit about what reconciliation means and what it means in your life as a follower of Jesus Christ. And I hope that it brings encouragement to you. When we talk about reconciliation, what recon- to be reconciled to someone, to receive reconciliation, it means that you are to receive one into his favor. So this is what it means. It means God received you into his favor. What I love about that, it has nothing to do with you. God received you into His favor. You have to understand that apart from Christ, you do nothing for your salvation. It is He, and to be reconciled means that you are received by God into His favor. Another definition for reconciliation is to change from enmity to friendship. With regard to the relationship between God and man, the use of this And connected words show that primarily reconciliation is what God accomplishes, exercising His grace towards sinful man on the ground of the death of Christ in the propitiatory sacrifice under the judgment due to sin. Exercising His grace towards sinful man on the ground of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. He paid the penalty of your sins. Christ took your place so that you can be reconciled to God. So, if we're going to maintain this eternal mindset, we have to be willing to engage in the ministry of reconciliation. You can't engage in a ministry that you don't fully understand or that you've not even received. So, if you are here today, you have and you would say that, hey, Ben, I am a child of God. I know Jesus. That means that you have been reconciled to God because of what Jesus has done. You have been received into His favor. You have been changed from an enemy of God to a friend of God. And because of that, He has given you the ministry of reconciliation. And I know what you're thinking here. I'm not a minister. I'm not a minister. So I don't do ministry, right? The ministry of reconciliation is not an option for the child of God. It is not just for the pastors. It is not just for missionaries. It is not just for church staff members. The ministry of reconciliation is for everybody that calls upon the name of Jesus Christ through faith and repentance. So if you are here today and you have a relationship with God, you're a minister. You are a minister of reconciliation you have to begin to accept and own this ministry and say, how can I begin to engage in the ministry of reconciliation in my own life? When we look at the Apostle Paul, his reconciliation towards God absolutely changed his life. He willingly let go of everything that he had to pursue the ministry that God had given him. What did he have? He had power. He had prestige. He had influence. At his order, people were killed because he said they went against God. They deserved to die. Stephen was killed. He had influence among the religious leaders of his day. But yet God hit him upside the head on the road of Damascus in such a way that as Ananias shared the gospel with him in Damascus, he received Christ and it changed his life Forever. Can you say that about yourself? That when Christ saved you, it changed your life forever. And sometimes in a setting like this, this is hard to know. Because there could be some of you in here are what what I would consider Bellevue, I hate it's not derogatory, but Joel knows what I'm gonna say, the Bellevue baby, right? From Like you, before you were even born, you were in this church and you are still in this church and you don't have this dramatic testimony where God hit you upside the head on the road to Damascus or you say that you came out of this sin and and all this yada, yada, yada. And you're like, well, I don't know if there's ever been a time in my life where I can say my life is completely changed. If you got saved at five, six, seven years old, your life was completely changed right then. How has it been manifested as you have grown up? Did you make mistakes? Absolutely. We all have. Has God brought you through those mistakes? Absolutely. Does that mean that just because you don't have a dynamic testimony that people get all crazy about that, that your ministry is less than somebody else's ministry? Absolutely not. Paul's life completely changed. And I bet if we start to dive into your life, we could start to figure out how your life has completely changed. He was willing to lose everything. And he still struggled. He still sinned. Ben, the Apostle Paul sinned? Yes. Go read Romans chapter 7. It'll mess with you. Paul says this, The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. There is this war within me between my flesh and the Spirit. They are warring at each other. He struggled. And he is the guy that planted a ton of churches, took the gospel to the whole known world, and he still struggled. So you know that you struggle. Paul struggled. You're in good company. So what are you doing with this ministry of reconciliation? Are you taking what you have to others? Are you sharing what God did for you to others? Because I'm just going to be honest, as as I look and I see my life at times and in the lives of others who proclaim Christ, there are times where I'm not actively fulfilling the ministry of reconciliation. And there are times that we even see in Scripture that somebody that receives forgiveness does not actively pursue a ministry of reconciliation. Jesus actually talked about this in a parable. The disciples come up to Jesus and say, Hey, how many times should we forgive our brother? Seven? And then Jesus messes with them and says, No, I say 70 times seven. And then he enters into this parable, and I think it is so applicable to what we're talking about today. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 23. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, he, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and his children and all that he had in repayment to be made. So the slave fell down to the ground and prostrated himself before him saying, Have patience with me and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave his debt. Stopping right there, he was received his favor of that, he was received in favor to that Lord. Just like we talked about in reconciliation. Verse 28 says, But the slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. and he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe me. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and begged to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. But he was unwilling. And went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to the Lord all that they had hap- all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, "You have a, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you?" And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. Verse 35 says, My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. This man was unwilling to forgive. What This man was forgiven much. I can't even tell you how much money 10,000 talents was. But he was unwilling to forgive others. And I believe that this can happen in the life of a believer when we lose our eternal perspective. When we miss uh, think about, or we don't, we stop thinking about that we ourselves are reconciled to God. So let me ask you this question. What keeps you from engaging in the ministry of reconciliation in that ministry where you are going and proclaiming What God has so freely given to you? Is it unforgiveness like this slave? What if it's bitterness? Somebody has hurt you so bad that it's caused you to become bitter. Maybe it's simpler. Maybe it's just because you're too busy. You have so much going on in your life, you're not willing to stop thinking about yourself to engage in the ministry of reconciliation. Maybe it's jealousy. Or maybe you're coveting what other what others have. Whatever it is, remember that God longs to see others reconciled to him where their sins are not counted against him, against them. So do you see this switch that has to take place? Are you engaging in the ministry of reconciliation? See, if we're going to maintain this mindset, we must look beyond the physical. We must engage in the ministry of reconciliation. And finally, we must serve as ambassadors. Verse 20 says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. When we talk about an ambassador, an ambassador is an authorized representative or a diplomatic agent of the highest rank accredited to a foreign government. As a believer of Jesus Christ, you are an ambassador, an authorized representative of the kingdom of heaven. You have been given authority to go on God's behalf and proclaim reconciliation to God. That's your job. How many of you have jobs in here? Most of you. You have a job description that you try to fulfill, hopefully in a good way, in a timely manner, right? And hopefully they pay you something to do that, right? (laughs) As believers, we are a lot of things for Christ, but one of the things that we are, according to this text, are ambassadors. That means wherever we go, our, we go on behalf of our King, of our Savior, of our God. We are His representative. And what are we to proclaim? The message that He has given us. The message of the kingdom of God. The message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you a good ambassador? Just like you have yearly reviews at your job to see whether or not you're a good employee... What if we just took the rest of our time tonight and just did yearly reviews on how you're doing as an ambassador of Jesus Christ? What kind of grade would you get? Based on your performance as an ambassador, would you get a raise or would they maybe think about getting rid of you? So, when we start to think about our role as disciples to be an ambassador, we have responsibility. What is that responsibility? It says that we speak for Christ. It says that we that that as though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God. That's our message. We are, as ambassadors, we are begging. We are pleading. We are imploring others to be reconciled to God. Is that your message? Or are you so focused on the temporary and physical things of this world that you no longer are a good ambassador for Jesus Christ? This idea of an eternal perspective, an internal mindset, is so key. Because if you accurately live out this mindset... It's going to transform every relationship that you have because you will begin to look at people differently. That you will begin to look in the eyes of others and you will wonder God, how can you use me in this person's life? How can I enter into the ministry of reconciliation? How can I be your ambassador? That type of attitude, that type of perspective will change your world. I'm crazy enough to think that there's some of you in here that may start living that way and it will change your career. And you're like, Ben, I just graduated. I've got my stuff together. I'm an adult now. I'm doing good. God's not messing with my plan. Don't say that. (laughs) God messed with my plan. (laughs) I was out of college for four years, trying to get into medical school, took the MCAT three times, graduated with honors, applied twice, and I'm just begging God, Lord, I knew you put me on this earth to be a doctor. I was mowing grass. Honestly, all I wanted was a bumper sticker that said, I have a bachelor's degree. (laughs) And at a funeral of all places... He said, Ben, I want you to be in people's lives at times like this. And in that moment, I recognized that God was changing my life. That he was calling to me to be more of an ambassador. That he was calling me to change my perspective to be more eternal minded. I believe there's people in this room that God's going to change your perspective so much you're willing to change your job over it so much you're willing to leave your family, to go somewhere else where the gospel has not been even mentioned before to take the gospel to them. Or, there's somebody at work tomorrow that you know you need to talk to because you've not been a good ambassador. Are you going to live with an eternal mindset or are you just going to stay focused on your own little world and how you make it through. When you shift, God will move with you and he will he will be faithful to you if you are faithful to him. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes as we kind of wind down and close. There is so much in this passage that I haven't touched. And I wish I had time to to go deeper. But maybe you're here tonight and you would say, Ben, I do not have an eternal mindset because I know that I need Jesus to save me. I need the ministry. I need to experience the ministry of reconciliation myself. I didn't spend a lot of time walking through the gospel. This message is more for the believer but maybe you're here tonight and you recognize that you're not a believer and you know that you need to repent of your sins. Believe that Jesus died for your sins, that He was buried and that He rose again on the third day and He ascended to heaven so that you can be saved, so you could be reconciled to God. And you're ready to receive Him into your life right now. If that's you tonight, and I know this is a big room and it's got a lot of people, but if you're here tonight and you want to experience the ministry of reconciliation for yourself, all I'm going to ask you to do is to lift your head up and look me in the eyes. I'm going to spend time scanning the whole room. If my eyes meet your eyes, you're telling me that you need Jesus. All right, see those eyes. Praise God. Anybody else? If you're here tonight and you want to be saved, I want to pray a prayer. And you pray this prayer to your in your heart. And when you ask Christ to come into your heart, He will enter into your heart. So if you would, just pray this prayer in your heart. Say something like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I am separated from God. But Lord, I believe that you came to save me from my sins. Tonight I want to repent of my sins. I believe That Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again for my sins. And I receive him as my personal Lord and Savior. Save me tonight, O God. In your name I pray. Amen. If you said that prayer tonight, the Bible tells us that the angels in heaven are celebrating. But maybe you're here tonight and you've not been living out Reconciliation, you've not been living with an eternal mindset. My prayer tonight is that you will figure out how you can engage in an eternal mindset tomorrow or even before you leave this room tonight. Let me pray for those of you that are believers tonight. Dear Lord Jesus, I just thank you for your word, I thank you for what it teaches, and I thank you that you teach us to have an eternal mindset. To, not, to move beyond the physical, to engage in the ministry of reconciliation, and to serve as your ambassadors. And Lord, I pray right now for every believer that is underneath the sound of my voice. Lord, I pray that they will leave here prepared to live with an eternal mindset. Lord, we thank you that you have saved us. And may we be faithful to live as you've called us. In your son's most precious name we pray, amen.